called Encountering Jesus, and so we'll get into that here in just a few moments. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke chapter 19, which is where we're going to be today. Um, short people. I was looking up on the internet this week about short people. Everybody sit up a little straighter in your chair, right? A few famous short people that might be of some interest to you. Um, John Wesley, he was short, five foot four. Dolly Parton, she's very short, five feet tall. Mahatma Gandhi, five foot four. Fourth president of the United States of America. Anybody know who that guy was? James Madison, he was five foot four. Muggsy Bogues, that's dating me, right? Y'all are like, who? Uh, he could dunk a basketball. He's an NBA player, probably one of the shortest guys ever played in the NBA. Five foot three. So he had to jump literally about his height in order to dunk a basketball. Um, uh, I said Gandhi. Did I say Gandhi? Yeah, I said Gandhi. Danny DeVito, four foot eleven. <laughs> and Genghis Khan, five foot one. And yet he conquered much of the world. Um, well, we're going to meet a short guy today. His name is Zacchaeus. And so uh, let's find out what his story, this wee little man's story was. All right, let's stand and read together from Luke chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, the story of Zacchaeus the tax collector. Begin reading in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I just want to walk through these verses together, and then where we're going is what difference does all this make to your life and to mine? So we'll get to that here in a little bit. But let's walk through these verses first of all. We'll start in verse 1, and we learn some really important things about the guy Zacchaeus here in these opening verses. Look at verse 1 with me. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Verse 2 says a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. Now, there are three really important facts that jump out at us here in these opening verses. The first is that he's from Jericho. You can see on our map here, Jericho sits to the west of the uh, southern part of the Jordan River, just above the, um, just above the Dead Sea. And uh, it's in what's called the Negev. The Negev is part of the Jordan River Valley. So the River Valley, especially in the southern part of the Jordan River, overflows in the spring. It doesn't anymore because they've dammed up parts of the rivers. But back in the day in Bible times, it would overflow. So this is a good area for farming. And Jericho, the city, you see a picture of it there, sits up against the mountains. So it's nine miles from the Jordan River. It's well out of the way of where the Jordan River uh, overflows. But because it overflowed out in front of where Jericho was, um, it was a, a lush valley, a lot of farming, that kind of thing, a lot of agriculture. Um, we also learn about Zacchaeus, first of all, that he's from Jericho. Uh, and then secondly, we learn that he's a tax collector. Now, what do we know about tax collectors back in Bible times? Well, we know that tax collectors worked for the Roman occupying government. That is that the Romans had come into Israel and had taken over that part of the world, and they had left their soldiers there to make sure that Israel didn't revolt against them. And so the tax collectors worked on behalf of the Romans to collect taxes that then would be given to the Romans. What they do is the Romans divided up their conquered lands into territories, 
or into districts, and these districts would be bid out to the highest bidder as to whoever said they could collect the most taxes. And then that amount of taxes was then given to the Romans. Well, the tax collector, where they made money was they would take money over and above what they'd give to the Romans. So if, say they, I had to pay $1,000 in taxes to the Romans, the tax collector might come in and demand that I pay $1,200. He would give the Romans 1000 pocket 200 And so this was a, a lucrative business for the tax collectors. Um, furthermore, um, we learned that the tax collectors uh, worked for, um, again, the Roman occupying government, and much of what they did was dishonest. They would take well in excess of what they needed uh, from people in order to just make their own ends meet. And so the tax collectors were working dishonestly in many cases by force because they had Roman soldiers uh, at their command to help collect these taxes, and, and they were taking this from their own people on behalf of the Roman occupying government. And finally, these verses tell us that Zacchaeus was a chief, if you notice that in verse 2, a chief tax collector. That means that he was so good at it, so good at, in his supervisory role, that he was over several districts uh, that were collecting taxes. So not only did he perhaps take their taxes from his own district, but he took percentages from all the other districts that he was supervising. And the scriptures say that as a result of all this, he was a very wealthy man. Now, how do you think the Jewish people felt about Zacchaeus. Well, how do you feel about the IRS? <laughs> right? They didn't like him at all. They were repulsed by him. They hated him. Uh, they despised him. They vilified him. They ostracized him. They demonized him. He was one of the most hated people in all of this part of the world. But do you know what? Zacchaeus didn't care one bit. He didn't care what people thought about him because the God that he worshipped was the God of money. That was the thing that gave him purpose. That was the thing that gave him personal power was how much money he had in his bank account was the prestige that that gave him. That's what Zacchaeus worshipped. And that's why he spent his life trying to acquire as much of it as he could because he viewed his purpose, his identity, his meaning in life in the money that he had. Verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short guy, he could not. Why? Because of the crowds. There are crowds of people with Jesus as he's walking down the road. Zacchaeus can't see above the crowd. You can kind of picture him jumping up and down, right? Doing a little pogo stick action, trying to see in there where Jesus is at. And so Zacchaeus sees where Jesus is going down the road. He goes and finds a sycamore tree, says verse 4. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree since Jesus was coming that way. Then verse 5 says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down, or I'm going to your house today. <laughs> Or, you were waiting to sing that song. I know you all are thinking about the wee little man. But anyhow, verse 6 says, So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Verse 7, All the people saw this, Jesus going into the house of a sinner, and they thought to themselves, Why is Jesus going to the house of a national traitor? Why is Jesus going to the house of a bully? Why is Jesus going to the house of a guy who's been thieving and taking money from us in a dishonest way? Why is Jesus doing this? Oh, I get it. Jesus is going out teaching all this stuff about the kingdom of God and how God's going to bring justice in the world. But when real power shows up, Jesus is just a sellout. And so that's what people are thinking in their minds. Well, Jesus, despite public opinion, he went on into Zacchaeus' house. And the Bible doesn't say what exactly Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about at dinner that night. But it does say that by the time they hit dessert, right, Zacchaeus was a changed man. Watch verse 8. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, and if uh, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount that I took. 
Zacchaeus stands up at the end of dinner. He makes two announcements. The first is that he's going to give half of everything that he owns. This means he's going to have a massive yard sale, right? He's going to have a liquidation. He's just passing stuff on out the door. People are coming and going all through the day. He's giving half of his possessions. That's an awful lot of stuff, right? Half of his possessions to the poor. And, not all, and, and this is not just because he's feeling bad about himself or feeling bad about what he's done. This is not just an act of penance. This is actually reveals Zacchaeus' love for God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 7. It says, this is a command of God. If there is a poor man among your, among your brothers in any of the towns, do not harden your heart to him or be tight-fisted toward your poor brother. This is God's heart for the poor. It reveals God's heart for those who are destitute. And God says, hey, look, this is how I want you to treat those who are destitute. And Zacchaeus is doing exactly that. There's a change of heart in Zacchaeus. It says, verse 8, rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. That is, Zacchaeus's heart is getting realigned with where God's heart was before. Zacchaeus walked around with a calloused heart. He didn't care. Some guy sitting on the side of the road begging. He didn't care. Hey, man, get a, go get a job, right? And he didn't try to help him out at all. And now Zacchaeus sees that guy. He sees his need, and so Zacchaeus wants to respond to that. But there's a second announcement that he makes, and that second announcement was that if Zacchaeus had cheated anybody, if he had cheated anybody out of anything, he would pay them back four times what he had stolen. Now, there's something in this particular translation, the NIV, that's not revealed, but when you go to the original languages in the Greek, you see there that this is not a statement of if-then. This is a statement that assumes that he has cheated him. And so, really, a more accurate translation is for, to say that since I have cheated, right, since I have cheated people, then I'm going to pay them back four times of what I owed them, or what I, yeah, what I had taken. Um, now, what does this second commandment tell us? It tells us that Zacchaeus was repentant. Not just that he was sorry for what he had done, but he realized that he needed to make some reparations for the harm that he had caused, for the money that he had stolen. He recognized that, hey, look, I'm living in this really nice lavish house, and the only reason that I've got this is because I've stolen everything from, from, from the people I live with or live around. And so he wanted to take full responsibility for what had happened. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. It says, today, this is Jesus' response, today salvation has come to this house. I love this. Jesus says, today Zacchaeus has become a Christian. Today Zacchaeus has had his sins forgiven. Today Zacchaeus is a changed man. Today Zacchaeus is born again. Now, before we finish this story, let's point out one really important fact here. And that is that Jesus doesn't say that salvation has come to Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus stood up and promised to give half of his stuff to the poor or because he promised to pay back four times of what he owed, right? That's not why salvation has come. That's the result of what's happened. The, the cause of all this, the cause of this change in Zacchaeus is because Zacchaeus put his faith and his trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. You follow that? I want to get the cart before the horse here, right? It's not that he did these good things, and then because of that, he gets to go to heaven. It's that he put his faith in Jesus, that's the horse, and these good things resulted from that. You follow that? Because the other way around is a works-based righteousness. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous, that is, that no one be, will be accepted by God, 
uh, in God's sight by observing the law, that is, by keeping the Old Testament commands, just by doing good, by doing right, by being a moral person, by helping people out. Nobody gets to heaven that way. Nobody is declared righteous. Nobody gets accepted by God, is acceptable to come into heaven because they did good things by observing the law. This is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. Christianity recognizes that it's not what we do to gain God's favor, but rather it's what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross. We put our faith, we put our trust for heaven in what Jesus did on the cross, not on our good works here on this earth. In contrast to that, the Mormons are going around. That's why they're there. They're there because they're trying to get God to accept them. Same thing with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Same thing with the Muslims. This is why they pray five times a day. This is why they fast during the month of Ramadan. This is why they go to Mecca at one time in their life, because they're trying to do the things that their religion says they have to do to get God to accept them. This is why the ancient Greeks made sacrifices to their gods. All of this behavior, all of this religious activity was intended to try and convince God to accept them. But in Christianity, that's the other way around. Uh, God accepts us because of what God did for us, and then we take what God did for us unto ourselves by putting our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, there's the cause, right? If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. That's the result. See, in Christ first, get Jesus first, and then that results in a declaration like what Zacchaeus made. That results in a changed life. That results in the fruit that we see in Zacchaeus's life. And so we need to be careful that we don't get the, the cart, right? The cart and the horse. The cart of good works in front of the horse uh, of salvation. With me? Hmm. Okay. We'll revisit that maybe another Sunday. But anyhow, uh, that's our story for today, which means it's time for us to ask, I think y'all are with me, our, our most important question, and it's a question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? Say, Gordon, that's really good. I appreciate those short people statistics, you know, but uh, what difference does any of this make to me? How does this impact my life? Well, that's a great question. Let me see if we can answer that. You see, Jesus declared about Zacchaeus that salvation had come to Zacchaeus's house. Now, the question is, besides Jesus telling us, besides Jesus revealing to you or to me that we've come into salvation, how can we know, besides Jesus telling us that, like he told Zacchaeus, how can we know that we truly have been born again? How can we know that we truly have eternal life in heaven waiting for us? How can we know that we've been saved? Well, let's go back to our verse from just a moment ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says again, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, there's the cause, then that person, here comes the result, is a new creation. The old is gone, and as the King James Version, and I memorized it back when I was a kid, said, behold, all things become new. The Bible says that when a person gets the real disease, like Zacchaeus did, something supernatural happens inside of that person. That is, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and takes up residence inside of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse, not, verse 15, do you not know that your body is a temple? Temple's where God lives, right, in the Old Testament age. Do you not know that your body's now become the temple of the Holy Spirit? See, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put your faith and trust in the work he did on the cross, then the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of you. And when that happens, friends, uh, we become a different person. 
we become a, uh, a, there's a change that happens on the inside of us. We have different values and different morals and different desires and different goals. The Holy Spirit awakens our conscience such that we develop a different way of talking to people and a more clean vocabulary, and we tell new clean jokes, and we develop a different attitude toward work and toward other people. In fact, Jesus spoke to this very process in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. Here's what he said. Listen to this. This is one of the uh, little short parables he told. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it's worked all through the dough. Now, have you ever seen what happens? Some of y'all have made bread before. Have you ever seen what happens when you put yeast inside of a ball of dough and then you leave it on the kitchen counter or the baker leaves it on the counter, comes back 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, he lets it proof, right? And all of a sudden you come back and that little ball of dough has turned out about four or five times the size of what it used to be, right? And by volume. And so that's exactly what happens with the Holy Spirit. God injects the person of the Holy Spirit into your life like yeast in dough, and the Holy Spirit begins to work on the inside of you, begins to transform you from the inside out. Friends, the Bible says that this is a predictable process. The Bible says that this is an unavoidable process. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is it's predictable in that the Holy Spirit brings the same changes into every single believer's life. And there are five of these changes, if you would, five evidences or indicators that a person truly has come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And we can know at that point, by looking at these indicators, whether or not we, like Zacchaeus, have got the real disease. And so what I would like to do for the little bit of time I got left here is to point out to you these five indicators, these five evidences that a person's soul has truly been saved, that they've entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so this is an opportunity for you and I to do a little self-evaluation, take the little test, right? See how we do at the end. Y'all be honest. I'll be honest. And uh, let's jump into this. The first indicator that you got true salvation is, number one, a love for the written word of God. A love for the written word of God. Psalm chapter 119, verse 97 says these words, Oh, how I love your law. In other words, how I love the words that, God, you have written down. Uh, the psalmist says, I meditate on this all day long. And then verse 27 of the same chapter, Because I love your commands more than gold. Because I love what you've written down, Lord, for me to read. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold I love reading your word. You know, folks, before we were saved and we sat down with the Bible, it was like, I don't get this. This is boring. Dry as dust, right? Some of us were still going, I don't know about some of this stuff in Revelation and all that. But in any case, but I mean, the, the word, the text didn't have any, they didn't have any meaning for us. They didn't impact our lives. But now, but now that the Holy Spirit's come into our life, it awakens these words in us and they become words that are a fountain of wisdom and a fountain of truth such that on church on Sunday morning, we can't wait to stand up for the word of God to declare that this is where truth comes from. And we love sitting down and reading the word of God and studying the word of God and learning from the word of God and just soaking up the word of God because it reveals God's heart. It reveals God's perspective. And we recognize that as believers in Christ. And so this is one of the first indicators that a person has come to true salvation. That is that they have a love for the written word of God. A second indicator is a love for God's people. John said this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. He said, we know that we have passed from death, that is from not being in a relationship with Jesus, heading for hell, to life, heading for heaven. We know that we've passed from death to life. Here's how. Because we love our brothers in Christ. And anyone who does not love his brother in Christ, well, he says, that person remains 
and death. Here's an indicator, he says, that that person has really received true salvation, the Zacchaeus kind of salvation, right? Entered into a relationship with Jesus because they love their brothers in Christ. Listen, when you've got the real disease, you love being around the people of God. You love coming to church and small groups and connecting with other believers. And the flip side of this is that uh, you don't like hanging out with your old drinking buddies like you used to love hanging out with your old drinking buddies, right? Uh-oh. And you love not, you know, enjoying hearing, you don't enjoy hearing the foul mouth jokes like you used to. I remember this one fellow, this has been about 15 or so years ago. This guy, his wife had been praying him for years and years and years. And uh, finally, he came to a point in his life, a crisis point in his life, and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus. And on Friday night, he had this group of guys he'd always get together, play poker with. They'd smoke, they'd drink, they'd do all sorts of, you know, stuff that the scriptures would say, oh, no, no. But in any case, he's doing this stuff, and he's hanging out with his buddies on Friday night. And the Friday night after he came to Christ, uh, he called in sick, right? Called in sick. You guys won't be able to make it tonight, not feeling well. Well, uh, they see him on Monday morning. Nothing wrong with this guy. Well, maybe there's something else going on. Next Friday night, he calls in sick again. Says, guys, I'm sorry, not going to be able to make it tonight. Well, they see him again the next Monday morning, and they're like, nothing wrong with you. What's going on with you, man? Uh, What's gotten into you? And he said, the Holy Spirit of God is what's gotten into me. Now, those drinking and gambling buddies of his, they said, well, you know what? He's going to be back. Give it a little bit of time. He's getting into this whole church thing. It ain't going to stick. It ain't going to take. He'll be back playing with us in no time. Well, 15 years later, this guy's still in church every Sunday morning. 15 years later, this guy gives of his time and his money to a Christian drug rehab center down in South Georgia. He's on the board of that rehab center. 15 years later, he hasn't been back to play poker not one single time with his buddies. Why? Because he's got the real disease. He's got a want to be around the people of God and to do the things of God more than worldly things. Number three, a third indicator of true salvation is a deep desire to obey God. What did Zacchaeus do? He said, I'm going to give half of my possessions, half of all that I have to the poor. Well, folks, nobody in Jericho, can you imagine living in the city of Jericho and all of a sudden you hear that Zacchaeus This guy who's been stealing from everybody for several decades now, lives in a really nice mansion up on the hillside, Uh, got guards probably around it. He's got all these people under his control, all this power, all this wealth. And he knows that he got it all dishonestly. I mean, not like he came by it honestly. And uh, (coughs) can you imagine being one of the people who lives in that town, hearing in the news, hearing uh, through the grapevine that that guy lives up on that house on the hillside, said, I'm giving half, I'm giving half of all that own away. And not only that, he says that I'm going to give away four times uh, what I had taken from people. Well, friends, um, nobody in Jericho could imagine that Zacchaeus would do something like that. What a long shot it would have been for anybody to even guess that something like this would have happened in Zacchaeus' life. But when we get truly saved, when we get the real disease, we want to please Jesus, we want to obey Jesus, and that becomes the dominant obsession in our life. This is indicator number three, that we have truly come to Christ. Number four, indicator number four, is a dedication to making things right with the people that we've wronged. And we see this in Zacchaeus's life. Flip back over to Luke chapter 19 and verse 8. He says, since I've cheated people, I, Zacchaeus, will give back four times of what I took. Now think about this for a minute. Here's a guy that's just emptied out half of the possessions from his household. He's had a big giant yard sale, emptied it out, sold the boat, sold the whatever, you know, whatever he had, half of his possessions gave to the poor. And now, He's going through his, back through his record books and all the people that he's taken exorbitant money from, all the people that he's taken too much money from, uh, he's not just going to give them back their money. He's going to give them back four times 
right? So he's down to half of his assets. Now he's going to give back four times of all the money that he's stolen. So what's Zacchaeus going to end up with at the end of the day? Nothing, right? Zero. Because everything he has, he stole from folks. And so Zacchaeus has given it all away. There'll be nothing left to cover his house expenses, nothing left to cover his yacht expenses, nothing left for him to to keep up his lifestyle. Zacchaeus will be penniless, a complete loss of everything. But Zacchaeus, in an instant, because he has a real disease, doesn't care anymore because the God of his life has changed. No longer is he looking to money to be what makes him powerful and important and have prestige and all those sorts of things, but he's looking to the God of the universe to be who gives him his meaning, the person that gives him his purpose, the person that gives him... I mean, he's, been, he's not been alive on the inside until now. Now that he's encountered Jesus, he's come alive on the inside. And the right thing is he wants to go back and make things right with the people, the many people, that he's wronged because that's what Jesus is leading him to do. Number five, fifth indicator, last one, that a person has the real disease that you have a, is that you have a passion to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul, Acts chapter 9, and verse 20, the Bible says, at once, that is right after Paul uh, met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, at once uh, Paul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And everybody's going, hold on, did you say Paul is out there preaching about Jesus? Right? I mean, this would be like a vegetarian, a lifetime vegetarian going to Longhorn and ordering everything off the menu. I mean, total, think about that for a little bit, total change of direction, total change of personality. Like, Paul hated Jesus. Paul was out to crush the Jesus movement, and now Paul's out there as a chief advocate for it. And people are going, what's going on here? Well, friends, this is one of the indicators that a person has truly got the real disease. That is that they want to go out, they want to share with other people about what Jesus has done in their life, and so they can have that same feeling that, um, that Zacchaeus has of being set free, of being alive. Um, now, in contrast, um, well, how do we explain all this sudden change? Again, uh, it's that he's met the risen Christ, and that's how we explain it. And the same thing happened to Zacchaeus. He stood up that night at dinner in front of everybody, and without hesitation, without reservation, Zacchaeus declared that Jesus Christ changed his life. This is indicator number five of true salvation. Now, in contrast to that, because we're still asking the question, what difference does all this make to you and me, right? In contrast to that, churchgoers, churchgoers come to church on Sunday and process through the motions and keep Jesus to themselves. That's what churchgoers do. But people that have the real disease, right, the real disease that really got true salvation, try to give Jesus away to anybody who will listen. So let me conclude. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 5, he encouraged us to do this. He said, to examine yourselves, to see. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers, people just like us. We, I mean, if we were Corinth, we'd have gotten a letter, right? Or if we were Philippi, we'd have gotten a letter. And so here he is writing a, 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 a letter to baptized believers in Corinth. And he says to them, examine yourselves to make sure that you didn't just go forward for grandma. Examine yourselves to make sure that you didn't just go forward as a matter of routine. He said, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are indeed in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. Do you not realize 
that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. And the litmus test that, gives, that God gives us in the Bible, that we are indeed saved, is this new creature test. Number one, do you, I have a love for the written word of God? Number two, do I have a love for the people of God? Number three, do I have a deep desire to obey the word of God? Number four, do I have a dedication to making things right when I've wronged someone? And number five, do I have a passion to tell other people about Jesus? Paul said it in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15. He said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Let me put that in the modern vernacular. Neither church attendance, nor tithing, nor church membership, nor being bar mitzvahed, nor being baptized, or reciting the Ten Commandments, or growing up in church. Paul says, none of this means anything. It's all religious activity. If we're planning on going to heaven to show God all of our works, right, like the Muslim does, if we're planning on going to heaven to show him all the doors we knocked on, hey, God, you got to accept me. God's going to say, sorry, there's only one way you're getting in here, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, no one gets to the Father but through me. This is how I knew at the age of eight <clears throat> that I had the real disease. I can look back over my life and see these five indicators or these five evidences uh, emerging in my heart and in my life. It wasn't because I'd been to seminary. For those of you that are interested in seminary, right? It wasn't because I had met some church attendance quota. It was because the Holy Spirit of God had moved into my life and this fruit, this evidence had begun to spring up in me. I didn't have all the answers back then to the world's questions. I couldn't answer the skeptic back then when I was 8, 10, 12, like I can today. But I knew that I knew that I knew because, in part, the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in me, the fruit of that, was written all over my life, starting at the age of 8. Now you say, but Gordon, you know, sometimes even as a new creature... We let God down. Aren't we going to let God down? Sure, we're going to let God down. Sure, we're going to sin. Sure, we're going to do things that are displeasing to him. And I'm sure Zacchaeus and Paul both had their days, right, from this moment forward. Sometimes we will disobey God. Sometimes we will fail to share our faith. Sometimes we will fail to apologize when we've wronged somebody. Sure. But listen, folks, when a new creature lets God down, and we will and we do, if they are truly a new creation, then deep down they feel sad about that. They feel remorse for letting God down. And that remorse drives the new creature to make things right again with God and to make right, things right again with other people. They have a conscience that is truly sensitive to offending the God of the universe. But the true believer recognizes when they've done that and they want to take the steps to make that right again. So let me close by saying that I wish... The number of new creatures in churches across America equaled the number of church attenders across America, but it just ain't so. It just ain't so. That's the sad news. And thinking more closely to home, some of us listening to this test this morning passed it with flying colors, passed it well, and we thought to ourselves, boy, Lord, I'm glad that I'm not the person that I used to be. 
And we're saying to ourselves, God, I'm glad that I have a change of heart. I'm glad that I have this conscience through your Holy Spirit that's awoken in me, that's driving me uh, to want to, to, to serve you and to do right by you, Lord. And I'm changed. And that's wonderful, and we celebrate that together. But some of us, if we're honest, failed the test this morning. Uh, perhaps we've walked an aisle in our past. Perhaps we've prayed a prayer in the past. Perhaps we've joined the church in the past. But listen, friends, if these five evidences of true salvation, if these five indicators of true salvation, this is your pastor talking to you for just a moment here. If these five uh, indicators of salvation are not present in your life, if you look at this and you're honest with yourself and you look at your life, if these fruits are not being born and springing out of your life, then something is wrong. Something is wrong. And friend, as somebody who loves you, I'm here. This is why this story is in the text. I wondered about that this week. I'm like, God, why did you want to put this story in the Bible? He put this story in the Bible so that we could see the change that happens when the Holy Spirit moves in. And friends, if that change isn't in our lives, if we haven't seen the fruit of these things in our lives, if we're hardening our our heart to this story that Jesus told, that the script that he participated in, that's in the text today, then friends, there's something wrong. And as your pastor, I'm here to share with you God's truth so that you can act on it. Friend, if your hope for heaven is that you went to church today, God said that's not going to do it. That's just like being a Muslim. That's just like being one of these other world religions. You're trying to bring to me your good works. And he's saying, look, there's only one way that's going to happen. And it's through a personal relationship with Jesus. It's through putting your faith and your trust in what he did for you, not in what you bring to the table. And so the next time we give this test, friends, my hope is that if you're one of these folks this morning that says, you know what, I'm looking at those indicators and I'm looking at my life and I'm saying something's wrong there, it doesn't line up, that you will in turn in the next days, maybe today, today is the day of salvation, that you will turn your heart to the Lord Jesus, that you will repent of your sins, that you will recognize that there's a sin problem in your life that only Jesus can fix. Church attendance won't fix it. Church membership won't fix it. Giving to the church won't fix it. Only Jesus can. The stakes are much, much too high for us, friends, to play around with this. And so the next time we give this test, my hope is that you'll say, I may not have passed it last time, (laughs) but I passed it now. My heart has been changed, like Zacchaeus, like Paul. Let's pray together. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for talking to us today. So often, God, we read through the scriptures and we think that the Bible is always about what's going on out in the world. And Sometimes, Lord, it's about what's going on right here at home. And so, God, if there's, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speaking to some of us today in a very poignant, very clear way, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal to us the need to repent, the need to ask for true salvation so that we can say like Zacchaeus salvation has come to my house today Lord change in the heart and the fruit that is born out of that is this evidence God we just ask that you would through the power of your Holy Spirit speak to us, instruct us, reveal to us how we need to act, what we need to do to set things right with you. In this quiet time of communion, Lord, may we uh, turn our hearts towards you. May we pray the prayer that needs to be prayed.
with courage, with boldness, approaching your throne. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.